Once again, we just want to take this opportunity and welcome you to worship. We're glad that you're here, either in person or online, joining us, because this is always the best way to start the week, is together in God's house. And so, um, it's just good to see y'all, to be surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, um, where we are reminded every time we come that we are never alone no matter what we're going through, that we have each other. And so as we gather together, there are a few things I want to remind us all about. The first thing is, if you haven't signed in yet on the attendance sheets on each row, uh, let us know you're here. Let us know if any of your contact information has changed. And especially let us know how we can be in prayer for you in the week ahead. Um, because that's always how we like to start our week, is looking over what y'all write down for us to be praying for, for y'all. Um, and then, okay, so this announcement sheet has more things that I'm going to lift up, but I really hope that y'all look it over for those at home that you read um, the email that Barbara sent out on Friday. But the first thing is this coming Wednesday night at 6 p.m. is our rescheduled charge conference because, of course, the College World Series um, had us reschedule our the initial meeting. But this Wednesday night, we'll be meeting to talk and to ask questions and to vote on whether or not to purchase. It is that way, right, Dilo? Okay, good. To purchase the church next door to us in that property um, and, and to just pray about and to ask questions and to talk about that. And so we ask everyone who... Um, who calls this church home and who loves this church to come and to ask questions and to uh, be praying about how we can best as a church family live out the mission that God has given us. Now to vote, you have to be a full member and you have to be physically present. But even if you're not a member, we want you to come because everyone who loves this church should have a say. And for the youth, who are members, yes, you get to vote. And that was my favorite thing as soon as I joined a church at confirmation. Even though my dad was the pastor and he asked me not to, I wanted to vote. Um, and so we invite you to come Wednesday night. And then on the back, okay, we have two school supply drives that are coming up, deadlines, very soon, like two weeks and three weeks away. And so every year we... Um, gather school supplies for MADCAP, which is Madison County and Allied Against Poverty. Uh, so children who are underprivileged in Madison County and Trinity Mission in Forest, Mississippi, which is a longstanding partner of this church family. And so we have a list of school supplies that we are asking for everyone to either purchase on Amazon and ship to the church or to come and drop off at the church in the next few weeks so that we can make sure that these children have enough school supplies as they prepare to head back to school next month because I can't believe next month is August. Um, and so we encourage you to take this list, take this sheet of paper and uh, purchase some school supplies so that we can um, help support those kids. And then okay, top of the sheet and you're going to be hearing more about this coming up is Rise Against Hunger because uh, Bailey is going to be speaking to us in the next few weeks on this, but this is a big-time packing event where we 
pack tens of thousands of bags of food that are shipped out all around the world. And so to meet the goal, do we know the goal yet? What is it? 10,000 American dollars. So we need 10,000 American dollars. If you... We are not starting at zero. That is good news. <laughs> okay, so we need $4,000. But if we raise more, we'll pack more, or we'll give the money to another church to pack. But if you feel in, um, called to give to Rise Against Hunger, we ask that you make out a check to the church and put in the memo line, Rise Against Hunger. Um, so that way we can gather on that last Saturday in August, or one of the last Saturdays in August, and uh, here in Hart Hall, pack the bags and see them sent out around the world to families in need. Because each bag feeds six people? Yeah. And so it's an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, so to, to just think about those who are hungry in this world, to think about how the difference that just a few dollars can make is very humbling and um, helps remind us to be grateful for what we do have. And also, if you have more questions, talk to Bailey or Chris Gresset, and um, don't forget to mark the packing event date on your calendar because anyone who can, we invite you to come, even if it's just for 30 minutes, and help pack bags of food. Um, but now, before we get to today's scripture passage, if you would please pray with me. God, in your goodness, we have another day to live. Another day to know how much you love us. And so, we, your children, gather this day in your house to remember and to proclaim your promises and your faithfulness. God, we just ask that you speak to us as you meet each of us where we are, knowing everything about us. And so, Lord, meet us and speak to us this day. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So, today we're continuing this summer series on troubling passages in Scripture. And today we're going to be looking at Mark 13. And if you turn in your Bibles, I'm not going to read straight through because Mark 13 is a little confusing. It has one theme throughout, but it has like these two conflicting ideas. Uh, and so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, not the whole chapter, so I'm going to read the first idea and then the second idea. And Eddie, if you'll put up the first slide. So if you have an idea, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be reading from some of these verses. 
And when I found this idea last week from a seminary professor, I got really excited when I realized, oh, this actually finally makes sense. And I told Kate, I called to Kate across the hall, and I said, you have to look this up. And she read through it, she was like, it finally makes sense. <laughs> and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, some of this, not all of it. So this is the first idea of Mark 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. And then verses 14 through 22, it talks about the woe to use and looking out for false prophets. Picking back up in verse 24. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away till all these things have taken place. So that's the first kind of idea, which is this, that something very imminent is about to happen. And then the second set of verses... When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives... Opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. As for yourselves, beware, for, this, for they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And if anyone says to you at that time, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce signs and omens to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be alert, I have already told you everything. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. 
It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. And so Mark 13 is this long chapter with these two different kind of ideas all interwoven. And when you read it straight through, it can be a little confusing. Because one idea is that the, the end of times is at hand. The other is dig in, be faithful, and prepare for the long call. Because we don't know when it will come. But both ideas talk about the end of times or the end of the world. I almost felt like finding some creepy music or something to play when I said that. But that's what it talks about. And, and I don't know about you, but this past year, especially in light of COVID, it seems like I've seen more and more people talking about the end of times or the end of the world. And people are trying to look at different clues and look at different events taking place to say, see, it's coming. See, it's about to happen. We at the church um, got actually a few letters in the mail from people to trying to let us know when they had discerned that the end of the world was coming. And they had drawn out all this logic. And it's in this passage from Mark and in some of the other Gospels, Jesus says, no one will know when the end of the world comes. And, and I'll tell you this, if you ever get to talking to someone and they start telling you about pointing out the signs of the end of the world and you quote Jesus saying, no one will know, trust me when I say that that will not help your, the conversation. But it seems like, especially in light of this past year, people have just wanted to know. Has anyone ever thought about, like, when reading through the Bible or Ezekiel or Revelation or some of the gospel passages or Daniel, it's just like, well, I mean, Jesus, Scripture seems to say, you know, these certain things, and you can connect different events, and it becomes like this web of, like, articles and pictures and different things strung together by string. It's like so many people just want to know because not knowing, reading scripture and that talks at times about the, the end of the world or the end of times and you're just like, it, you feel, I feel powerless. It's like, what do I do with this? And so some people try to figure it out. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I love mysteries. Anyone else like mysteries? Like, I grew up reading um, Nancy Drew books, and I loved Jessica Fletcher, Yes, for Murder, She Wrote. And I would try to figure out who did it. I'm not very good at it. But I love a good mystery. I love to try to find the clues. Because, it, because really, when you start looking, 
like when you open the newspaper, if you want to talk about the end of the world or the end of the world or the end of times, you can open the newspaper and you can find lots of different things that can fit lots of different categories, depending on how we view things. But you know what the greatest element of the mystery is? The red herring. The, the red herring is the thing that seems like the clue that solves everything. But ultimately leads us astray. Sometimes I feel like these passages in scripture that talk about the, the clues and the omens and what's to come can be like a red herring that leads us astray. Because sometimes when we may feel powerless or we do want to know when is this come when is this happening? We can start to look and and it can lead us down lots of different trails. But here's the thing, the, the biggest red herring is this terminology of end of times or end of the world. As Christians, that should never be our language. Because as Christians, we're not talking about, and the Bible doesn't talk about the end of times or the end of the world. The Bible talks about God's coming kingdom. The Bible talks about Jesus' return. The Bible talks about the restoration of all things broken and wrong. When we want to talk about what is going to come, we talk about Revelation 21. We talk about a new earth and a new heaven and God moving into our neighborhood for all of eternity. Jesus' return is not the end of things. Jesus' return is the beginning of everlasting life. The end of times and end of the world talk is the biggest red herring that can make us so afraid that we can get so caught up in looking at things a certain way that we forget as Christians, we don't have to be afraid. We should look forward to Christ's return. When all things will be made whole and made right. When death and crying and pain will be no more. Instead, of looking at things as the end of things. Instead of reading some passages in scripture and getting afraid of what is to come, we get to read Revelation 21. We get to read Jesus' promise that he is coming again and that until he returns, that we are never going to be left alone. We get to read the promises of God's faithfulness throughout generations, faithfulness still to us today. We get to read about a faithful God even when we are unfaithful. In Mark, I loved the second set of verses I read. 
because they talked about digging in and being faithful. Because we don't know when the end is going to come. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. All we have is here and now. One of my seminary professors, Alfred Day, he always talked about how we are called every day to live into God's imagining in this moment in time. To live into God's coming kingdom here and now the best way possible. Wherever we are in each moment, to simply be faithful. To do the most loving thing possible towards God and towards one another. That's all that's asked of us until Christ returns. Is to be faithful. Not to be afraid. And so today as we talk about what it means to serve this faithful God, we come and we gather around Christ's table. And we come and we are reminded of a very present and real God. We are reminded of a God who came into this world so that we could touch him and know him and know of his love for us. A God who saw us in our sin and our brokenness and made a way for us to be made whole. And so we remember today not the end of things to come but the beginning of everything to come when Christ returns and we all sit at his heavenly banquet where all of us have a seat. And so we remember as we gather around his table the night that Jesus sat surrounded by his friends, took a, took a loaf of bread, broke it, and said, this is my body that I will break for each of you to know wholeness and healing. And we remember in the sharing of the cup, Jesus' blood that was poured out so that we would be made whole and be made marked as sons and daughters of the living God. We gather around this table to remember that we need not ever be afraid. For our God is faithful always. So no matter what comes, no matter what happens, ultimately we know what is coming. Our Savior, ushering in his kingdom of of healing and love and grace and mercy so that all may be made whole. And so we come this morning with hearts confessing that we have not always loved you, God, with our whole heart, and we have not always heard the cries of our neighbors in need. But we come knowing that in you there is healing and forgiveness in you, there is always grace and love. 
we come asking, O Lord, that you pour out your spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine and upon us gathered here. May this be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Make us one ministry with you and with one another until Christ returns and we all feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.